Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to the channel. I am super pumped to introduce to you my guest for today. He is a former ECW World TV Champion, WWE Champion, WWE Intercontinental Champion, WWE Hall of Famer. He is one of a kind, the whole effing show, Rob Van Dam. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you, Denise. Glad to be me. I may be here. Well, both. I was going to say, well, like, dude, you're literally like the coolest guy out there. And so, yeah, I mean, I think we'd all definitely would want a little bit of that cool factor. Hey, how, how, how could you not? I'd want to be me if I wasn't me. <laughs> Freaking awesome. All right. Well, let's jump right in. Uh, first and foremost, I do want to go ahead and start off with AEW since we just saw you there. And it was a big part of conversation. Uh, really good time. So I want to start off by asking you there, you know, how did everything come about uh, in terms of getting this appearance for you on AEW? Mm, they uh, had this plan for quite a while, actually. It was like towards the beginning of the year that I started getting uh phone calls uh, saying if I was interested and even available, which, you know, it's, it's pretty remarkable that so many months later, the first dates that were mentioned were the exact same dates uh, that it fell upon. So that tells me a lot about uh, how far ahead these guys think. But, you know, just like with anything, it's not real until it happens. And so, you know, that's how I took it. Yeah. And when you found out that you were going to be wrestling Jack Perry, what was your reaction to that? Because, you know, obviously he's still, you know, making a name for himself in, in the business. And so for you to get an opportunity to, uh, you know, be part of this, but also get to wrestle Jack Perry, what was all that like? Um, it was it was really cool. Um, you know, there's a. Everybody grew up watching RVD. I mean, I hear that all day, every day. So I'm very familiar in, uh, with that. And, um, and a lot of wrestlers went out of their way to welcome me, tell me how happy they were to, or inspired by me, et cetera. Uh, but what was really cool about Jack Perry was, you know, he really wanted this match, you know, so he was a real um, fan. Um <clears throat> maybe of the whole hardcore extreme style or whatever, you know, so it was, uh, it was really like an organic fit. And um, if it was just like thrown together, which a lot of matches are, which is, I mean, every match is a compromise of what two complete different people bring together. You know, you, you make the stew, you both got your own ingredients and sometimes it's good. And when you're RVD, it's always good. But um, with Jack being uh, so extra um, uh, excited about about this particular matchup, you know, that that just made it like that much better. By the way, um, I, I met him when he was a little kid one time when we were at the Staples Center in L.A., probably 2001, maybe 2002, um, when I was with WWE. I remember meeting his dad because he was a big star. Uh, 90210 was like um, – it was one of the top shows. I, I didn't personally watch it, but Louis Spicoli was, uh, who's a friend of mine, was obsessed with it. So we always made fun of him, and um, and that was a part of our of our regular conversation. So uh, um, Luke Luke had uh, Jack with him, you know, when he was just a little kid. So that was a long time ago. But I, I, like I probably probably should have kicked him. I should should have kicked him in the head back then. But <laughs> I didn't think about it. 
You're like, damn, had I been planning ahead, had I known a little bit about the future, taking this kid out right here, right now. But it is kind of like a mind trip, though, when you think about it, right? Like when you think like I met this kid when he was just a kid and obviously, you know, he's still a young guy, but it's like and now you're out here, you know, wrestling him. I feel like that's pretty cool. And it got me thinking right now that you mentioned that because I was listening to your podcast and one of the things that you were talking about that really kind of like really got me was when you were talking about people kind of aging themselves and stopping to do things because they're aging themselves and that kind of got like into my head where i'm thinking like yeah if you especially if you're an athlete why would you think that way society status quo lack of motivation or ambition that's really what it is. You got no ambition if you're saying that you're old and when you're 30, you're conditioned to, to think that. Why? Because your parents had you when they were super young. They're going to be grandparents in their 40s and everyone that you know uh, is broken down uh, So in their, in their early in their life. So those are the standards from your environment. Fortunately, that's not every environment. And if you're not a world traveler and you live in a shitty little town with the same people that you see every day, you might not want to run your mouth on social media as if you're an expert on life because you're not. You have very little or no experience. You only know things that have been told to you. And guess what? Some of that is going to be BS. You know, we're all taught that and have to filter through it. Some people don't have the uh, tools to filter through it, so they run with it. And um, there's examples of that all day. But I'll tell you, like, if people didn't um, tell me that they thought I was old, I would have, like, no idea because I don't personally identify with it. I remember, like, when I was in my 20s, I would have thought 52 sounded old. But now that I'm 52, it's like I don't, you know. And this, I said this on my podcast. I haven't reached an age yet where it would be an advantage for me to be younger. And and maybe when that happens, then maybe I'll start feeling like, oh, you know, because I, I mean, everyone that I know, they say, oh, sucks getting older, doesn't it? And it's like, not for me, it doesn't. You know, like, I, I feel great. I'm just smarter. I, I know more about my relationship with life, with the universe, with everything. And, and I like to share from my experience what I've learned. So that's why I do the podcast. And that's why I have RVDology on my uh, YouTube page. And, um, and, and, you know, just the messages that I do get about the ways that I've helped people or just touch them at the right moment when they need to hear this or that. It goes a long way with me. So that's that's really uh, motivating to me um, because I'm always happy to share my perspective or insight to people that want to hear it. I've always I've always been that way. On the other side of that, some of the things I'm interested are not popular things to be interested in. You know, um, I the whole drug culture is like uh, there's people in certain circles that are taught. Um, if you use cannabis, you're a drug addict. And so automatically, anything that comes out of the mouth of anybody that uses cannabis is completely discounted. Shut up, you're high. And really, uh, when you have the insight and the knowledge of, of the world, those people just look really ridiculous and limited and stupid to you, but they don't know that. You know, Dead people don't know they're dead. It's the same with stupid people. 
and uh, and they're everywhere. Um, but I don't know, like when I start feeling uh, more broken down, maybe I'll be able to relate to uh, to old. But right now, I feel like I'm gonna live to be 150, and um, I've always been beat up. You know what I mean? So I'll just, I could just be like, wow, you know, my back's sore today and someone else to be like, oh, sucks getting old. I'm like, well, I mean, I remember when I was 23 <laughs> going to the chiropractor because, because of what, you know, getting slammed in Japan. And um, anyway, it just, um, it just feels like I've got like a lot more experience, knowledge, and I haven't um, given up whatever it is, the will <laughs> that people and the physicality, the physical abilities i guess that a lot of people give up uh so you know i don't know where the line is uh where you say okay this is this is old this isn't old um but for sure a lot of people have that that bar way 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 too young to enjoy life and it's sad you know i don't even take it personally because again i have the insight i'm the one that knows how ridiculous they sound to me and that's just the way it is but it is it's it's almost depressing like when i think about just the status quo the basic thinkers and how they limit themselves and really make the world a shittier place <laughs> yeah and see that's the thing that's one of the things that i resonated with when you were talking about stuff like this because i think you've you've been always pushing or you know being very outspoken and not trying to let people you know dictate what direction your life is and you've spoken a lot and you also mentioned it in your hall of fame speech when you were talking about individuality and that to me especially nowadays where it feels like we all have to be the same because of the pressures that social media puts on us hearing you kind of just talk about individuality was like this reminder of like yeah i can be myself i don't gotta think about what everybody thinks about or think excuse me think the way that they think and so when i was listening to your couple of episodes of your podcast that was one of the big takeaways that i got from it cool cool yeah i'm glad that uh i'm glad that you were able to uh to take that away that's something that i always stand for and i hope that the legacy i leave behind has something to do with exactly that i hope that people are more comfortable being themselves and not necessarily trying to fit in. You know, like I, I reached a, what should be an undeniable status of success just based on the fact that I followed the dreams I had since I was a kid and, and like everything about my, my life. Um, I mean, I don't know if everything, that might be exaggerating, but I mean, I went after it and I got it. You know what I mean? I wanted to be a pro wrestler. You know, I wanted to have this cool life that I have. I wanted to have an awesome wife like I have and have the the the, the adventurous life that we have. And, you know, everything I wanted to do, uh, martial arts movies as a kid, you know, it just, by all those, it seems like even the most basic thinkers should have a hard time calling me unsuccessful yet you know some of them will see it that way um and i've made a lot of unpopular choices along the way which i knew were right for me and they weren't right for everyone they don't have to be right for everyone but that's the thing is people just don't understand if you if you follow your own path and i didn't pay attention to so many things that normal people do and i and i've talked about some of this i'm not musically inclined i don't subscribe spiritually to music the way that other people do it's just a thing 
It's not everything, you know. I mean, it's everywhere. It's you, and anyway, I feel like people let the music drive them instead of the other way around, which that's fine. I'm just saying, I, I don't do that. Um, I don't pay attention to how to, you know, dress fancy or, or, or sports cars or even sports. There's so many things that make me different, and and I'm okay with that. So if if, if you're not. Uh, because you want me to live by your standards, then you're limiting me to meeting your goals. And I'm not willing to do that. I get it, man. And I like it because I think it inspires other people to, you know, pursue what makes them different. And now I do want to go ahead because you were mentioning the music right now. And I still have a couple more questions about AEW. Um, walk. Pantera, the moment it hit the first time you came out, it's like, yes, Tony went and he got, you know, whatever he had to do to get the song to play. Oh my God, that was so cool. What was your reaction when you found out you were actually gonna get to come out to the song? Oh, I was stoked, you know, just, just like you said, I was like, yes, that's gonna like, that's gonna make such a big difference in the energy like that, that, that makes it like a, a whole different thing then like what would they have done you know made up some kind of music and just relied on on the rvd graphics you know for people to to catch the moment so um i was actually told the day before um that they tried and they weren't able to get it so it was a surprise to me a little while before it was a surprise to everybody else and and um very motivating you know like i don't you know a lot of people um I feel like music in general, just to just to relate my last comment to this, I feel like people are it's like a Hallmark card. It's like, hey, they're they're telling me how I feel. And that's weird to me. You know what I mean? So they'll sing a song like that's exactly how I feel about my last breakup. I love this song. And I mean, OK, I get it. You relate to it. But but it's like that, like with every song, uh, every song has its own energy. And I pick up on energy. I'm very energy uh, sensitive, I believe. And walk does bring that energy because it reminds me of back in the day, you know, when uh, in ECW, when I was like really enjoying this you know, steady uphill, uh, momentous ascension um, through my career, through my stardom. And it was just the, the best time. And I knew everyone out there, they'd been chanting my, my name for the last three matches. You know, they're ready for this match. And I know I, I'm going to go out there and work my ass off and I'm going to do my part. I'm only one guy on the whole show, but I'm the whole effing show. I'm going to do my part and make sure that everyone goes home happy regardless of if they hated the rest of the show. That was my goal. That's what that song reminds me of, you know, having that much um, of, of of just excitement and and, uh, and that agenda. So uh, for me, that's really cool. And I think that's like that for a lot of people. You know, this song reminds me of this fishing trip or this <laughs> fishing trip. I don't know why I pulled that out of my head. But, um, but anyway, um, but for me, you know, it, it's there's there's this. The, the it, music is just like a thing. It's not like everything, you know, like people, I mean, you wake up to music, your phone rings, it's music. If you want to watch another form of entertainment, like drama or action, it's music at the beginning of the TV or music uh, during the commercials, uh, music at the end. And it's like, you know, you want to work out, put your headset on, listen to music. I, I, I don't do that. And I, and, and really like <clears throat> sometimes now, I'll hear a song that I've heard for 20 years and I hear the words for the first time. I'm like, 
that's what they're saying. I never really listened to it. That happens all the time. You're like, I, I have a whole new perspective on this song now, right? I've never paid attention before, but it's always been a part of my life because they play it so much every time I'm in the car or, yeah. <laughs> oh my god well i gotta tell you man when you came out to walk i was like hell yeah i'm so freaking pumped i felt like you know you just it's the kind of song that makes you want to get up and start doing stuff and so you know in regards to this you know uh, coming from a fan's perspective, I was like, damn, I want to see more of RVD in AEW. Now, I know everyone's probably been asking you, hey, are you going to come and do more? Are you going to come and do more? Uh, so I'm going to ask you the same thing. Are you going to, is the opportunity there? Do you want to? Um, you know, did uh, did Tony and I talk about possibly doing something again? Yes, we did. Um, any specific results to report from that that or any other related conversations? We'll just have to wait and see. And here's here's my question too, because you know you've done you've worked with so many companies, right? You've you've been everywhere. You've worked with so many different people um, that comes. You know, different companies comes with different teams, different management, different people. For you, what was your experience like backstage at AEW, and was this also your first time uh, meeting and connecting with Tony, like in person? Uh, yeah, the on August second when I first came out and uh, got into the ring when uh, Jungle Boy was on the mic, that day was the first time that I had met Tony in, in person. And um, everybody that I met was cool. You know, I, I was, I mean, I was happy to see a lot of the boys that I knew, you know, um, a lot of guys from my times in WWE, like, you know, Big Show and Mark Henry and Goldust and Chris Jericho and uh, Christian and, um, and it was really cool to meet a lot of the the new guys, you know, come up and introduce themselves to me, you know. And um, you know, uh, like Sam McGuire was like, like went out of his way, just be like, "Oh my man, hey man, hey, can we get a picture?" You know. And it was like, um, you know, I like I'll always remember that, you know, like that felt like uh, respect. What I was surprised at was how many of the crew guys that I knew, like camera guys, you know, lighting, just just all the production dudes and and, and not just dudes, some dudettes. But um, I don't even know where I know some of them from. It's just like, wow, I've worked with that guy for years, you know, and it was just like it was like that. Everyone, even Bob that runs the ring out, you know, it's just being in the industry so long. And like you said, wrestling for so many different companies, I knew like so many of the stage hands as well as the talent. And um, that kind of um, surprised me because sometimes you almost think about those positions in the industry being more replaceable. You know, you don't think of those guys like having a career holding that camera or, or that microphone or or setting up, you know, the or holding taking the photos, whatever. But those are those are like career jobs, you know, and so like they're part of the big family, too. So um, super cool to touch bases with like uh, some of those guys. One of the photographers, Lee South, I don't think I've seen him since um, uh, 2012 when I was in, um, but probably a lot of the guys though, you know, but it was just like, some of them I had to look at their face, you know, be like, dude, I want to, they'd have to tell me. And I, you know, Jeff Jones was one of those guys, you know, I'm like, Hey, nice to meet you. And he looks, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm Jeff Jones. And I was like, 
You are Jeff Jones. <laughs> now he's got the Papa Smurf uh, mustache and beard going on. And he didn't have that when he was refereeing in ECW back in the day. But, um, yeah, I got, you know, I've been around for a minute. And so um, that's that's part of it and uh, part of the good part of it. You know, you already know people. You already feel connected. They already know how awesome I am. <laughs> I was going to say, because when it's almost like they've been around and they've worked in wrestling companies, you clearly understand and know that they are fans, too. You know, I think sometimes you forget because they're the ones, you know, doing the crew stuff, right? doing camera or whatever it is that they're doing that entails, uh, you know, all the crew work. Um, you still think like, oh, sometimes like, oh, they're just focused on their craft and you forget that, you know what, they're wrestling fans, too. And I feel like it adds like some comfort knowing that all of these people have worked in wrestling at some point. Yeah, but you know, it, it, something that you might not think about, it's not just about them being fans like of the industry, but it's fans of working with you, you know, like, like, hey, you know what, Rob's always in a good mood, he always has positive energy, he's such a good guy to work with, they remember um, stuff like that, you know, like when... Uh, uh, when because you know certain people are the opposite certain guys aren't really cool to work with behind the scenes and you know and they might be rude to some of these people and so um you know i try to make the work environment better when, when i mean when i'm feeling good or whatever and that comes back to me hearing it from all these people you know the, the first interview i did with uh with renee when i went back there um they were telling her some stuff about that, that I thought was like between me and Jack. And, and I just, you know, when I, I got there to do the interview and they're talking and stuff and I heard it, and I'm just like, why, why, wait, why were you telling Renee about something that happened on the ring with me and Jack? And, and they just looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, Oh, you just, you just want her to have perspective of like what happened, like right, right before this or whatever. And they said, yeah. And I was like, all right. If you say so. And, and they just all laughed and they said, it's good to have you back, Rob. Man, that's so freaking awesome. I, I really hope we do get to see more of you in AEW. I think it would be really freaking awesome. Uh, before I switch gears, I do want to ask you as well, because you've seen a lot of companies come and go. And, you know, with AEW now kind of starting to change the landscape of pro wrestling, uh, how do you think that they've impacted pro wrestling as a whole? How have they changed or evolved uh, the industry? Well, they have changed it quite a bit, I think, by finding a home for a new style, for better or worse, um, where um, the new younger guys can wrestle this newer style, even if some of it is contradictive to the old school foundations, whereas in WWE, you're going to have the agents, I think, more on top. There's still to quite a bit. I mean, they're still changing it there, but I think that there's more free reign in AEW, whereas, you know, the agents or coaches, as they call them in AEW, the producers, I guess they call them now. And anyway, um, you know, you usually have old school wrestlers, you know, that have wrestled their whole career that can like guide you, counsel you, watch over you and say, hey, you know, this is why this doesn't work or whatever. I think with AEW, it feels more like ECW where they just threw the rule book out um, and said, um, quit holding us back. You know, boom, this is us entertaining the way we want to. And I feel like they've embodied that more than like, say, like NXT, which is more like, you know, the next generation of 
SmackDown and Raw kind of. It's um, so I think they've done that, and I think it, it's been at a good time in the business where it was needed. So it's been capitalized on in a good way. Um, yeah, when they came up, you know, they only had the same chance as anybody else, which. People are always coming up. There's this new company with Major League Baseball money, health insurance for all the wrestlers, man. They, they want to sign, you know. Um, there's a lot of people that uh, aren't able to do it. And, and uh, now that Tony's been around a while and he's improving, and I mean, I don't know the business end of his company, but I, but definitely, you know, he's established. People are there, people love AEW, and, um, and that's never going to change. And, um, you know, he's part of a revolution. Part of um, having like an extreme new product in a, in, in a different way. Exactly. I think that's been like the cool thing too. And I love how you kind of broke that all down because I feel like, uh, you know, kind of like the perspective where you were coming from, from the agents and whatnot, that was something that I didn't really think about. So when you brought it up, I'm like, okay, that makes like a lot of sense. And just, you know, the overall just impact that AEW is making is has been pretty cool. Now, I do want to ask you because you mentioned the correlation between uh, AEW and uh, ECW. And clearly, like your history with ECW is, you know, it's just it's it's amazing. Everything that you were able to do during that time period. And so I do want to take the time to ask you, you know, when ECW did close down, what was your um, reaction to that, considering everything you had done and what I'm assuming, you know, clearly what the company must have meant to you? Yeah, well, we saw it coming. It was no surprise. So it was a long, drawn out um, degradation into the uh, the the swamp at the bottom of the empty swimming pool. You know, it was just like a slope that went down and we could see it. And, 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 and there was lots of little hope spots along the way, you know, Paul will keep us going. I got an important meeting Wednesday with, you know, Barry Diller from Fox. It could be, yes, it could be maybe, you know, maybe we're just like, Ooh, this is going to happen for us. Cause we believed in the, the product. Um, and then, you know, that all those maybes and, got used up and we surpassed all the other possible bumpers that could have slowed down our momentum into that nasty scummy swamp um at the bottom <laughs> of the empty swimming pool but and i and i jumped off the ship you know as it was sinking um it was sad it was very sad you know what i mean there was like nothing else uh like it and i really thought that if enough people were exposed to it I thought that enough people would catch on, um, even though I never thought that it would hit the majority because the very nature and foundation of ECW is like a counterculture kind of movement, which is also how I feel. You know, I feel like most of my fans would rather see me doing a rolling thunder than talk about cannabis prohibition. You know what I mean? But, but I have like my own, um, passions and my own intelligent level that 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 seeks people that can communicate at that level rather than just just you know the the, the wrestling fans but that's um that, that even so i thought if everybody got a chance enough people would stick to it and, and it would provide that car crash appeal where you just can't look away and you're stuck to watching it because you don't even have to be a wrestling fan to be entertained you know by just watching a few minutes of the show like oh my god they're setting fans on fire like what is going on here um 
it couldn't have lasted forever, you know, with that in mind. But um, it, it was something that we all loved, and I would have liked to have seen it have a longer life. And if it would have still been going today, maybe I wouldn't have ever left. It's almost like the what ifs, right? Like what ifs, like this would have happened or that would have happened or the, the hope would have come to fruition, right? And, and I'm curious too, like what was your initial uh, impression of Paul Heyman and throughout the years, how, how has your uh, relationship with Paul, you know, uh, evolved? Um, well, Paul was, uh, I mean, Sabu, I had Sabu to warn me, you know, and give me his feedback and impressions of, uh, of Paul, you know, I'm sure he told me like how to trust him or, or not trust him, what he's saying or whatever, but Paul, but, but Sabu liked him and that was important. And, um, man, I just thought he was always good at pulling out strengths and, uh, hiding weaknesses and um i also learned he was willing to say um whatever to get through the moment even if even if uh later on you know that that wasn't even if reality wasn't connected to it you know what i mean like he was i learned right away um you know if you promised me a check and then i said hey where's my check he'd be like oh, it's it's waiting for you at home when you get home. You know, like it was like I got used to that kind of thing. Like you said, you're gonna hand it to me. What's the difference? You don't even get home till Tuesday. You know, and it, um, I just learned who I learned to appreciate and respect him uh, for for who he is. But one thing that I probably never ever said, and this is I love it when memories just pop up like this. But um, when I, within that first year, it kind of seems like it was around the time when Kurt Angle came in, but I don't know. Um, but I guess looking back, knowing the bigger picture, I think Paul was trying to test my courage or, or, or see if he could call me on, on any BS because Sabu and I were both telling him that I'm a kickboxer, you know, and telling him uh, uh, about how good we think I am, you know, and, and um, maybe some of my accomplishments in that area and stuff. And, and he had um, who he said was a friend. I, I won't I don't know the guy's name. But he, it wasn't Bob Rube, but he was just like, if I could, you know, he was like, um, would you be able to take on Bob Rube? He's a professional, uh, but he's, uh, and I said, what's your weight? And he said, 135. I'm like, yeah. You know, I was like, yeah, I mean, I don't care how good he is. He's 135, you know, with, I was like real cocky. And um, he started like talking like he was going to book that. Um, I think the guy was like really small, but it was some pro kickboxer. And he was like, he was like, you would, you would do that if I, if I booked, you know, that. And that's, I was like, fuck yeah, dude, I'll not come out. And, uh, and then eventually he just quit talking about it. But I think he was just testing me to see if I would say like, well, I'm not that good or I don't know. I mean, what's this guy's record, Paul, you know, but I wasn't that guy. I think that definitely was a test. Like the way that you explained it, it seems to me like he was trying to see whether or not you were going to back out or not. Right. I wasn't. Definitely not. Definitely <laughs> I not. not <laughs> um, so I do want to go ahead and get into your time in WWE because, uh, you know, going in from like we were just talking about with ECW and then, um, you know, leaving that, unfortunately, and then jumping ship and then going to WWE. What was your initial experience like with the company? And, you know, how did it change throughout your time there? And you're talking about it in 2001 when I went to WWE. Yeah, for your first time with the company, yes. Um, 
Well, I mean, it was a much bigger stage, you know, way bigger show. It was apparent right away that I had joined the circus and was living on the road full time. And also it was apparent that people all around the world were watching this show in, in countries that I never thought that I would even ever be in. And, and that was kind of like mind blowing, you know, first time I got to go to some of these countries and I don't know, India and uh, some, of the, some, some third world countries, some nicer, but to see all the kids, you know, doing the RVD and to, for the first time, you know, to think, to actually take that in and be like, wow, they know that. I remember when I was in Belgium, everyone was on the, uh, everyone was on the angle like so hard when I had the money in the bank briefcase and I wrestled, I think I wrestled Cena. No, maybe I wrestled Matt Stryker. I don't know. It could have been a couple of different times, but, but it was like, Whoa, if if, if WWE hadn't brought me to uh, Brussels in Belgium, I would have no idea that I'm a king there. It was just like being in an ECW arena in Philly, had that same feel. There was all these people way over here on the other side of the world that, you know, only get to see us on TV. So they're so stoked when when we're there in person. So, you know, WWE um, is, as far as the job goes, the travel you know, the, the, the pumping you out there, it's a whole bigger machine than anybody can fathom when they just think about, you know, being on TV um, once a week or, or whatever like that. But, but as far as all that goes, being on TV, there was a lot of politics that were hard to adjust to. Um, I was very stubborn about even working with politics and, and um, you know, that, that I'm sure got in my way. I'm not sure I would change it. Just kind of, how you know, it's me. Um, but some things, of course, I would do different. If you go back in time and you wouldn't do anything different, then you haven't grown, <laughs> you know. But yeah, it was, but it was, you know, I felt like I was appreciated, I felt like they loved me, and then I'd feel like I wasn't appreciated. They don't, they don't get me, and then I was appreciated, they loved me, and then I'm not appreciated, they don't get me. It was like a cycle of that the whole time I was there. And, you know, when you obviously when you were there and, and all parts of your career, but specifically speaking with WWE, you know, you were uh, freaking over, man. Like you were over and people were rooting for you to get these, uh, you know, positions to get these top spots. And and, you know, when you won the WWE championship against John Cena, uh, all of that for you, you know, just going back and knowing how popular you were and how badly the fans wanted it for you. Um, looking back at that, what does that mean to you? Um, you know, I always was cognizant of my connection with the fans always. And so I always felt when I say that I felt like they don't appreciate me, they don't get me. That just meant the office because when I went out there through the curtain, everyone's got an RVD sign. They're all screaming for me. But then when I go by the souvenir stand and nobody even bothered to bring RVD shirts to the arena because, uh, I don't know, I'm an afterthought because they're focusing on having eight Degeneration X shirts and four John Cena shirts. And maybe that's because they sell a lot of those shirts, but it specifically takes away from, from me, not only my brand growing, but literally you get paid by the shirts that you sell. So so there was there was always stuff like that. And I always felt like I connected to the fans. And, and even, I mean, even when you don't see me on TV for the last several years, um, I'm always like in demand with certain fans, you know, and the fans that, that see me, that see that I can still go and that I can still offer, you know, uh, whatever it is that they that they want from me. Those fans always 
have the impression that I could show up on Wednesday on AEW, or maybe I could show up on Monday Night Raw, and every once in a while I prove them right because I do show up, you know. But that's 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 the value um, that I have with with the fans, and in their mind, how much of an impression I've made on them, so that even if WWE was really spending the money on the, you know, the the huge plans of the rock and stone cold and for some people they could still say rvd was their favorite during the, during those times and i'm grateful for that uh and i and i own that and i love that connection i get i get my flowers from the fans every single day you know uh, so that's cool and by the way look at right now we just saw rvd wow he can still go he's a legend former world champion for sure for sure, things are going to happen. Let's see what happens. You know, it's it, there's one thing to be uh, connected to the fans, and there's another thing to go through the uh, political system and uh, and uh, and you know penetrate the uh, the minds of those with their backs turned. Let's put it that way. So I don't know. So we'll see. I get but, it. I get you know, it. Very relevant. You know, like as hot as I've been the last several years all-time hot point right now is it possible that um somehow they don't see the, the value in booking rvd of course it's possible <laughs> the fans don't understand it and i can't explain it but i just know how the industry works so i'm saying you gotta you know just don't have don't have expectations you don't have to be worried about ever being overblown with surprise Man, I love it. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and jump into the lightning round portion here. And this one's basically, I'm just going to ask you like 10 random questions and you answer them however you please. So here we go. Uh, question number one, how many singlets do you think you have had throughout the years and how many do you still have with you right now? So my airbrush artist, Joe Holland, damn, I owe him a phone call. Um, he said that he thinks he's done about 300 outfits. And I would guess that I have close to 200, maybe. Oh, almost all of them. Yeah, I don't get rid of them anymore. You know, for a while, I would part with them. My first thought, you know, besides like maybe donating for auction or good cause, I also thought they're rotting in my closet. I can't wear them anymore once the elasticity ages or once the paint fades to a certain point. And so I figured, you know, a fan could like, fans will frame it, hang it up, and it'd mean a lot more to them than it does me. So I got rid of a few like that, but then I got sentimental. And now, you know, I don't want to get rid of anymore. And, and WWE wanted one of my WrestleMania outfits for their uh, fan access thing. And um, I couldn't find a single one of them. You know, like I looked everywhere and I was like, I got rid of that one too. And everywhere that I looked, I, I couldn't uh, find it. So, so now I, like, I, I must have got rid of like a lot more than, than I realized. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, they're awesome, awesome. Uh, question number two, um, when you were chosen to kiss Ted DiBiase's foot as a fan, how did you spend the $1,000? Well, you know, I think even if you adjust it for inflation, I think that that, that, that figure is a little bit high. It was a hundred dollars, and I used it towards buying a motorcycle. Yeah, oh, it was dang, a, that's pretty cool. Yeah, a Suzuki 250 enduro, I think. Way too strong for me. I used to. Oh my god, I'm so glad. I'm lucky I survived anyway. I would like. I didn't even know how to ride. It was so heavy, and I would like jump like 
Like you go down in the gravel pits, you go up this hill. I would go down the hill and then I jump the ditch and fly so far. And I was just so careless and reckless. So that was a part of my childhood that I forget to talk about. But I actually had three motorcycles, I think. I had a Harley Davidson 125. Oh, yeah. And I had a Honda 360. So. Yeah. Nice. Well, then it was worth it. You used to put the money to good use. <laughs> um, question, question number three, who is the most random person or unexpected person that you have ever smoked with? Um, random person. I don't know, man. That's a tough one. Um, what's a random person? I would say like even maybe just like a random unsuspected celebrity that all of a sudden you're like, hey, we hanging out, we're doing this. <laughs> um, how about people won't be surprised that uh, I smoked with Matt Riddle, but if you don't know, that was way before he was a pro wrestler, uh, right after his UFC, um, the days when he was in that, that series, The Ultimate Fighter, I met him at a marijuana advocating um, party at the Playboy Mansion and smoked with him in the grotto. That was kind of cool. Damn, he had, that is he had cool. a little he had the little tiny plastic pipe that you like fold out the straw, and it's like it's so small that you can't help but drink the water in. It's really nasty, but uh, but it was random and cool. Yeah, that is cool. I think a lot of fans would be like, yep, I can see it. I can definitely see it happening. Uh, question number uh, four here. Uh, what was it like filming that skit with Kurt Angle where he tries to do all of these different sporting events and the Olympics and all of that? That was very funny. That was so much fun. We had a lot of a lot of fun filming it. Yeah, the guy. I'm still, um, you know, friends with the guy that, uh, that directed that. And uh, we've talked about other projects, you know, here and there and stuff. But um, that was a that was a lot of fun to work on. And uh, and I thought the result came out really good. It was. It was very fun. Uh, question number four. Uh, who were your favorite people to travel with on the road? And sorry, this was question number five. OK, um, Booker T, Sabu, Katie Forbes is my number one. Um, and then, uh, you know, I traveled with Booker. I traveled with Sabu. I traveled with Mike Awesome. I traveled with uh, Sean Stasiak. And, um, and then that's that's really that's about it for any for any length of time. I mean, anything else would have been just jumping in the car, I guess, with somebody and sharing a ride like once or twice. But those were the guys that uh, were my steady riding partners. I like that. Question number six. If you were to wrestle again in WWE, who would you want to wrestle? Um the 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 main event at wrestlemania that pays the most yeah how about is it jake paul is that the dude oh about, uh, logan paul how about logan paul that Boom. would be crazy that would be so crazy uh question number seven speaking of crazy what's the craziest thing you have ever done outside of wrestling oh my god i don't know if that's for me to answer i've done some uh um craziest thing um i um i one time um squirted ketchup out of a bottle without shaking well oh okay uh, um, okay okay i see i see <laughs> shake well first i'm not, I'm not ready. <laughs> I'm gonna have to ruin my reputation 
ruin the reputation. Question number eight. Uh, how much time a day do you spend stretching? Um, probably 30-ish, sometimes less, sometimes like an hour, uh, depending on a number of factors. All right. Question number nine. What are your favorite movies? Mm, Casino is up there. And, um, well, these are all, everything that comes to my mind right now is mafia related. Um, Goodfellas, of course. Um, oh, what's the one where he played the, the Cray brothers, um, legend. Great movie. Um, yeah, let's go with those casino, casino, casino for sure. And, um, I don't know. I'm really not good with favorites overall. So they're all thoughts and, and they might change. It doesn't mean I'm lying. If I get asked what my favorite color is on another interview and I say something else. But. <laughs> You're like, it evolves. It evolves. It changes. It happens to yeah. all of us. Uh, last question. Question number 10. What's on your bucket list still? Mm, the autobiography. Oh, nice. Every once in a while, I probably like probably like four or five times a year I have people approach me, you know, and say, Hey, have you ever thought about doing a, you know, and they're writers or they've written someone else's book or whatever. And yes, I've always thought of and planned on doing a book. And, uh, I have gone through different stages of, of development. I, and I've met with book agents, you know, I've considered ghost writers versus writing it myself. Cause I actually do like to write, but will I get it done? Um, and are there advantages to having a, a ghostwriter that publishers know and is independent publishing just as good nowadays? And, and anyway, um, it is something that uh, if I don't do, then hopefully somebody will find my, my records and put them together with all the bull crap they had. Um, but if I don't do it, it's just because I never got to it. But uh, like I said, I'm going to be around until I'm at least 150. And that is near the top of my to-do to list. And it is something that I that I work on now, not as passionately as if it was at the top of my list. But um, I have a, a plethora of um, audio stories that nobody's even heard, you know. So now that I go and tell the ones that people want to hear regurgitated or want to get insight on special moments – I might have enough material anyway. And even the RVDology um, episodes that I do on my YouTube page, it's the real RVD. Um, those, like, I, I tell stories on there that, like, no one has ever heard. And there's stories that I think people would care about and stuff that I learned from them and values that I've gotten and applied to my life. So I, I really enjoy doing that, even though I know the fans would rather see me do a Rolling Thunder. But for me, <laughs> for me, this is important to me. And, uh, and, you know, right now I'm still living the story, but that's definitely uh, the answer to your question. Now, I hope that you do get to that. And maybe who knows, I think the right moment and however you decide whatever direction and path you decide to do it, I think it'll happen whenever it's meant to be. But Everything it would be really cool if you just started writing and kept going, you know, once sure. it starts coming out of you. Sure. I've got like uh, four screenplays that I've started like in the last 15 years and some are, you know, a little bit, some are half or almost finished. And, you know, any, any, yeah, anybody could, could, could say that just like you could say, it'd be great if you just got up and exercise first before you ate, you know, that's 
Sure. <laughs> like saying it is one thing, doing it is a whole other thing. Yeah, but but like you said, when it's meant to be, you know, it'll be organic. You can't really push anything uh, ahead of its time. So I, I'm very much uh, aware and appreciative of that law of the universe. Awesome. Rob, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Extra time, too, at that. Um, seriously, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and talk to everybody here on the channel. Before we go, please tell the people where they can listen to your podcast, watch your YouTube channel, follow you, all of that good stuff. So everywhere is the real RVD on social media and um, and the podcast goes on there eventually. But first, it's on uh, Premier Access. Do you know? I don't know. It's on like I think it's on Friday and Monday, but one of them, I think Friday is just the audio and then Monday's the video. If if I understand right about that. But, uh, you know. Did, uh, did Dominic send you any of that? It's new. It's, it's, that it's, new, it's new. It's a new episode every Friday on Premiere. And that is it just audio on Premiere or they get the whole thing? I think you get the whole thing. Yeah. But I'm going to put all of the links in the description box below. So anybody who wants to check that out can find you on any platform, any or all platforms. Sweet. Okay. Uh, appreciate it, Denise. Good talking thank to you. Thank you so much. No, seriously. Thank you to everybody watching and we'll catch you guys next time. Thank Whoa. you, everyone. Whoa.